Welcome to the Women Governance Gurus podcast, where we listen to the journeys of women working in the field of corporate governance, their passions, struggles, and commitment to improving how companies and boards function. My name is Courtney Camlet, and my co-host is Liz Dunchy. Hi, everyone. We are both passionate about governance and want to spotlight some of the amazing women who share that passion. Hear what has surprised them over their career and various perspectives from different paths and industries. Our guest today is Ann Chapman. She's currently a managing director at Joelle Frank. Ann, this is Liz. Thanks for being on our podcast and really great to see you so recently at the Society's National Conference. Great to see you both actually as well. And thanks for including me in this. Really happy you could do it. So you made a big career change a couple of years ago. Could you share with our listeners what your path was to becoming managing director at Joelle Frank? I'd be happy to. And I have to admit that it wasn't really a purposeful path. Um, I don't think it's uncommon for many of of us in the governance space to have come to it by what I've heard Michelle Edkins call serendipity. And I actually really appreciate her use of that word. I would add one more word uh, to that, which is timing. Um, and would tell you that I've also really benefited hugely from the encouragement and support of really smart and generous colleagues. And I'll leave that in to what hopefully will be a, a sort of a short wrap up. Um, I joined Capital Group in, oh, well, <laughs> about 1990. I was with them for over 28 years, wow. uh, which was a significant portion of my working life. Um, for about 25 of those years, I was focused on governance and proxy voting, ultimately leading uh, their team. And that really came about because of both serendipity and timing. I was working as an assistant to the head of the legal group at the time, who actually was involved in early stage governance things. He was part of the uh, early days of the Stanford Institutional Investors Forum. We actually had independent mutual fund directors who were becoming involved in proxy voting. And I was lucky enough to be able to observe and learn and right time right place, just indicated I thought the governance was really interesting and was allowed and encouraged to see where that interest would would lead. I would tell you that doing governance at Capital in many ways was really a dream role. It was certainly great education. This was at a time early, early in sort of institutional governance uh, where their investment professionals actually had been involved much longer than our legal compliance group. They also had, because of being fundamental investors, a well-developed engagement program with companies already, you know, again, on the fundamental research side. But we're quite used to, to talking with management teams and occasionally board members. Um, I was really fortunate to be able to help with the evolution and the development of their approach to governance. We didn't even call it governance then. Um, and... And those same colleagues, particularly in the investment group, who already were so immersed in um, engaging in companies, gave me the benefit of their knowledge, their experience. They were willing to debate and push and and teach. Um, So it it really was a great place to have grown up in the governance community. Um, With that said, almost 30 years is a really long time. Mm And I was starting to think about sort of what my path was looking like longer term, whether there were other things that I was interested in doing that might might be a good fit for my skills. 
I think it's a pretty common occurrence to take stock at certain periods in your life, um, as we all get to that age, whatever that age is. And as I was thinking through what this next path might look like, I, I talked about this with a number of individuals that I considered friends, mentors, and colleagues. Again, lots of encouragement, great input. And along with serendipity, again, and timing, um, I came across this opportunity at Joelle Frank. Many of, of the folks in the governance world know Sarah Teslick, who almost only needs one name. She <laughs> is legendary, and I had known her for years um, as she did her governance outreach, and we'd really become more friends, and she had become a mentor. She had moved to Joelle Frank sort of as I was starting to think about next things and talked to me about her ideas and focus and how the firm was thinking about integrating a governance expertise into what had traditionally been more PR and crisis communication. It was really interesting. I was extremely curious to see how this would work. Um, as you know, Sarah, well, I consider her both brilliant and creative and very passionate. So watching what she was helping to build was really exciting. And, and, and that coupled with sort of my own internal thinking led us to talk a little bit more. Um, there were and are a number of firms focusing on governance advising. It's become sort of a, a mini industry. But I think what I really liked about the Joelle Frank approach, again, was that integration as an additional skill, not a separate practice area, because mm -hmm. I really strongly believe that that governance um, expertise weaves in through almost every piece of communication that a company does. Um, I would tell you the timing was pretty good for this. The capital team really was and still is strong and knowledgeable, the investment group being so active. Um, I didn't feel like I was leaving much undone, although they certainly have other things they're doing now. So it felt like it was a great time to transition. That's wonderful. I love how intentional you were about it. Well, it took me a while to become so intentional. People who know me know I'm very risk averse. And I <laughs> As think many about of us are in, these, in this field. <laughs> That's true. And I thought about it for a really long time. So it, it felt as though it was a good fit. And I would also tell you that the associates at Joelle Frank are the type of people that I enjoyed working with at Capital, very smart, intentional, and they are focused on trying to help clients in the very best way they can. Wonderful. Thanks for sharing that. So you said that your sort of career path has not been purposeful, but it has been intentional. Has there been anything that su surprised you as you've progressed in your career? I think there are a few things that I found surprising um, related to governance, I am still surprised that what started for me as a pretty sleepy research job has evolved into what feels like an entire industry. Uh, 25 years ago, it was a proxy voting role, pretty administrative, even at a firm that thought about how companies were running. Um, and I am both amazed and sort of gratified to see where we are now. I'm also surprised sometimes that we still focus so strongly on compensation. I would give our American Funds directors annual updates and reviews of, of our season, and I think 
you know, as long ago as 20 years ago, I started with, we focused the bulk of our attention on compensation issues. And I think every year after that, there was a similar sentiment. Uh, we've added to the topics uh, with board focus, diversity, some climate change, environmental and social issues, but still we spend a ton of time talking about pay. Um, if I think a bit more broadly outside of governance, getting out of your comfort zone is both pretty exhilarating and really uncomfortable. Um, my surprise is how valuable it has been. There's a certain amount of comfort and complacency, but that isn't where you, you really learn and stretch yourself. Um, and, and when you do things that feel like you're operating without a net or, or where you aren't very expert, uh, they're great opportunities both to get out of your safe spot and stretch. And I've been surprised at just how broadening that is. Um, and I think finally, what maybe it's more gratifying than surprising is the generosity of people involved in governance and ESG. Um, people who early in my career, who were so expert and established, who were willing to take phone calls, answer emails from somebody who was a pretty junior person and didn't know very much, um, and they would refer me to other people who could be helpful. I was actually speaking to one of those folks a couple of years ago and realized that this individual I'd, I'd been pretty much in awe of watching on panels and, and reading things that, that they'd written had really become a mentor and friend. Um, I'm still in awe of her. <laughs> and she's just one of a number of examples. But the helpfulness you find in this community is pretty amazing. That is such an amazing thing to have amongst this group of governance gurus and also the fact that you focused on compensation so many years ago at Capital Research was industry breaking. <laughs> we even really early on focused on uh, director compensation, which I think is gaining some traction, but still um, it is relatively below the radar. But I think always with a purpose of figuring out how you incentivize the right to the appropriate behavior, but don't tip the scales to the point to which people, even employees, feel a lack of independence or an inability to do the right thing because a significant amount of money would be at risk. It's a crazy balancing act. It is. So, Anne, this is Liz. You work with a number of companies in varied sectors now. Are there governance issues that you see frequently? You know, there are some themes or trends, and it's become much more apparent in my new role as I really see completely under the tent with companies and hear some of the unvarnished conversation. Uh, the first is what I call form over substance. So companies determining just to check all the boxes they can on governance features, but really failing to focus on the intent of what those features bring, which is accountability and oversight. And I think that does underpin a lot of governance problems that crop up later. Mm -hmm. I also do see fairly frequently um, really a failing to question or reexamine decisions you get so tied to our plan, our strategy, what we know as a management team, even a board, that often there's a failure to take in new inputs or acknowledge that circumstances are changing. Even if you've got a great approach, adjusting actions might be appropriate. I think the second part of that failing to question 
is assuming you actually do have a way to test or push back on decisions, have you articulated that clearly enough to everyone else outside the core team, employees, shareholders, others? Um, many of those management teams, when they get put on the defensive by an activist or some shareholder pushback, poor vote outcomes, only then do they start to explain what they felt was pretty obvious. Um, clearly, it wasn't obvious to those outside the decision-making team. Um, and so I think just not assuming either that you have all the right answers or that everybody knows the process you've gone through is really helpful. Um, I think the last thing that I would highlight I see, and Peggy Ferran actually uh, encapsulates this really well, I've heard her call it the ability to speak truth to power. Um, it is very true that bad news doesn't travel easily upstream. And unless there's a conscious effort on the part of the board or management to create both a culture that really values that candor um, and a process for it to happen, as well as having people courageous enough to present the bad and the ugly, as well as the success, you won't get the bad news that you need. I mean, it's human nature not wanting to present that bad news. It's tough to hear, but often trouble has started lower down in the information chain. And if there had been a courageous person who was able to get people at the top to listen, um, sometimes crisis could be averted. Right. And it kind of has to be at, at all levels that people are courageous because a lower level person could report it and then that could kind of get quashed out at that level and not go anywhere. Yeah, I actually, in, that is true in my former role, I knew that we had had great conversations with a number of outreach teams for years and gave really candid feedback, pretty direct um, views of what we didn't like so well. And years later, when we'd finally engaged with a board member, um, it appeared as though it was the first time they were hearing it. Hmm. And I always wondered <laughs> just how that filtering at the top came about. Um, folks have good intentions, but it is hard to deliver bad news. Yeah, and that's where it's helpful to have third-party advisors involved, too, because not only for delivering the bad news, but even being able to recognize that there might be a communications issue where people outside the organization aren't quite understanding what's going on or or there might be, like you said, a, a change in path or decision that needs to be made. Uh, it's, it's helpful to have a kind of another set of outside eyes, I imagine, to come in and provide that kind of feedback or even reassurance if someone is kind of thinking, oh, I think this might be off, but I don't want to rock the boat here if I'm not really sure. Then if they have someone like you, they can be like, oh, yes, this is a problem. Yeah, I think that's been the very best part of this new role is really being able to speak without a filter, even though I still have one. But our firm in particular is known for very blunt but accurate advice, and and it's sort of freeing to be able to do that. I can imagine. Yeah, especially if, if that's what you're hired for, then they can't say anything if you <laughs> if you come back with blunt advice. Well, and it's often exactly what they need to hear. Mm-hmm better from us than a shareholder. Mm -hmm, exactly. So, Anne, this is Courtney. You worked on the research side with investment analysts and portfolio managers on what was becoming the key areas we now know as corporate governance and ESG. 
and you continue to work with your clients at Joel Frank on those areas. How does your experiences and understanding of these types of topics help you advise? Well, I think, you know, I said earlier that, that doing governance and capital was really a dream role um, because of the way the firm was designed and functioned. That was certainly true um, because capital is an active manager. Those investment professionals are a critical part of the governance and voting process. The sector analysts provide voting recommendations and color for companies they cover. The portfolio manager is part of a voting committee and and they're very active in how the firm approaches ESG, how the voting guidelines continue to evolve. Um, many of those investment analysts and portfolio managers were part of those generous colleagues I referenced earlier. Uh, they really helped me in my education. They shared the criteria they were using to evaluate an investment, how they interacted with management over time, which was really valuable. They gave me perspective into issues of particular particular importance or maybe even a lack of importance in one sector over another. I think, at least for me most critically, they helped me think through the potential impact of voting decisions beyond just the one meeting for one particular company, but really the longer-term impact of positions you take and decisions that you make over all of your portfolio. And I think that broad perspective was really helpful as I formed my own views. That investment point of view has become invaluable in my new role in thinking about how companies could articulate a case for what makes sense and why. Because ultimately, I think all of this comes down to the value of the investment, at least for the bulk of funds and clients who have financial goals as part of their investment thesis versus perhaps a straight sustainability or SRI goal. Working on the public company side, for us, that is incredibly valuable insight. Well, and I think there's one thing we actually talk about inside our, our smaller subgroup of, of the governance team at Joel Frank is it's reasonably easy to start to tell a story about ESG, to know the things you should probably start to disclose as far as programs, but the piece of it I'm most passionate about and interested in is how do you tie your initiatives back to what drives value? Often there's not a straight line. It's a little bit more of the dotted line, um, but even programs that you do to incentivize employees or give them sort of the, the ability to volunteer can have an impact on the bottom line of how you attract and retain what for almost every firm is their key asset, which is their employee. So being able to, to sort of close that loop and connect the disclosure, not just with things that may look or feel good, but actually have an impact on the bottom line is pretty important. I think another value to working with both the governance, the legal compliance side, um, and the boards of the mutual funds, as well as those investment professionals were just the sheer variety of perspectives. Um, as you might know, capital has three equity investment divisions, or at least it does currently. Things are always evolving. And those investment uh, divisions made separate investment decisions and proxy voting decisions. So although the governance team has insight into the thinking of all three, um, they do need to keep those Chinese walls in place. It was a wonderful window into diverse opinions and points of view. 
um, smart people with the same set of facts and mostly the same sensitivities focused on that same goal of creating value can arrive at wildly differing conclusions based on pretty solid rationale. They can also make the very same decision for entirely different reasons. And I think that helped me become broader in my thinking, acknowledging, maybe anticipating likely varying points of view that every company has to deal with because we had a real microcosm of it there. Yeah, thank you. This is Liz, and this is our, our last question and kind of our signature question that we plan to ask all of our guests. What do you think that women in the corporate governance field can add to the current conversation on the societal role of companies? That is a really interesting question. Um, I'll be interested to see how how your guests start to answer that over time. You know, there is that sort of traditional female archetype suggesting that we're wired to be one way or another, maybe nurturing, altruistic. Um, I actually don't like generalizations based on gender because I've seen men who exhibit that, that same sort of, you know, selfless, altruistic, helping focus. Definitely. I acknowledge that there are lots of differences between the genders, but there are also differences based on other factors like our ethnic backgrounds, our geographical diversity, educational, you know, sort of our growing up circumstances, if you want to call it that, which is the crux of why meaningful diversity on boards and management teams and the workforce is really pretty critical. But I think that one of the most valuable things that women in corporate governance can bring is perspective. So let me explain sort of where I'm going with that. Many of us who've got substantial experience, I'm not saying we're old, um, <laughs> started out in a pretty low profile, relatively thankless job, more administrative um, than perhaps analytical. Many would say that's exactly why you have so many women in the governance space, um, because it started out as clerical, something that perhaps men who were more focused on a career didn't want, women would take because their opportunities 25 or 30 years ago were perhaps more narrow, whatever the reason. Um, as the areas evolved, many of us find ourselves being the only woman in a room and certainly the most junior individual present for lots of really interesting conversations. Often we've been in the observational mode um, because there's no ability to get in a word edgewise. Um, and when you're not sort of front and center in that conversation, you have the ability to really sit back, observe, listen, and take in quite a lot. So we've, we've seen a lot. I, I'm sort of reminded of the farmer's uh, commercial. We know a thing or two because we've seen a thing or two. <laughs> um, both good and bad examples. What types of companies and management teams tend to be successful? Those that haven't. Many of us have formed opinions on just what success means, or at least the actions that seem more likely to result in success. So I think there's probably not one right answer to your question, but I think we can bring a broad perspective and experience across wide varieties of industries and market caps. I like that. Thank you. Yeah, that's a very interesting answer. Thank you very much. And to your point, uh, we know there's not one answer, which is why we are asking it every time. 
<laughs> Great. I look forward to learning um, uh, future podcasts. Anyway, and thank you for joining us today, Anne. And thank you, audience, for joining us for this episode of Women Governance Gurus. Stay tuned in the next few weeks for another edition.